0: Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randy. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO Crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here's the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall.
1: And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I am Kevin Randall. And before I bring on my guest, Mike Rogers, I have some things on my mind that have come up in the last couple of days that have annoyed me. It's just that sometimes I get so tired because we have way too much unnecessary turmoil As a kid, I wanted two things. I wanted to be a writer, and I wanted to be a soldier. In junior high, they had a class on journalism. I wasn't sure exactly what journalism was. I knew that it had to do with writing. And so I took the class on journalism beginning my, I guess, my writing career. It's too bad that today journalism is dead. Just don't do... uh, the simple things you would expect them to do. They don't call to verify anything. They don't uh, look anywhere other than to Twitter and social media for their stories. They do not set foot out there. They make stuff up. I don't know how many times you've seen things on TV where they claim they're in one place and they're somewhere else and they're faking where they are. Uh, In high school, I took um, I took journalism in high school as well. and I learned that the managing editor is the important position on the newspaper. We had two uh, girls who were the editors, co-editors, and I was the managing editor of the school newspaper, and I ended up doing most of the work and uh, setting things up. And they just kind of did whatever editors do at that level, Uh, kind of an eye opening thing. The problem was I had no money for college at that point, given our circumstances. But the army was offering to make high school students helicopter pilots. You had to have a high school diploma to become a helicopter pilot. You had to take the test. You had to have a certain level of skill, a certain level of a certain IQ. You had to not be colorblind to become a helicopter pilot. And I was able to do that. So I entered the army uh, as a private E1. I went to flight school, graduated, was promoted to ward officer and uh, sent to Vietnam immediately. Once we came back, um, we figured there'd be a year turnaround before we had to go back to Vietnam, but uh, Nixon got us out of that mess. And then came the RIF, a reduction in force, and they throwing out all of us that came in as um, temporary soldiers, I guess, during the Vietnam War, they were, they were getting rid of us and keeping the professionals there. In college, I took writing courses and I was writing about UFOs. I often joke about how I paid for my college education on my Saga scholarship. Saga was a magazine that published a lot of UFO stories, and it seemed I was able to sell one to them practically every semester. And that just about covered my tuition. But while I was in college, I linked up with Bob Cornett and we decided to write science fiction. We went to the science fiction conventions to meet the editors. And one of the people we met was a um, woman wanting to become an agent looking for writers. And we, of course, talked to her and I got a call from her one day and she said she'd talked to some publishers and they were looking for somebody to write books about the Green Berets of Vietnam and wanted to know if I could do that. And I'm thinking, yeah, I want to write books and I want to do that. And if you wanted me to write about nurses and hospitals, I would say, yes, I can do that too. So we did a whole bunch of books, Bob Cornett and I did a whole bunch of books on uh, the Green Berets of Vietnam, but we also wrote some science fiction. We published the science fiction, and that was going very well. So uh, we did the Vietnam Ground Zero series, and I also maintained my link to the military in the Iowa National Guard and then Air Force ROTC. And because I'd been a ward officer, I was appointed as opposed to commissioned. Now they commission you at, after at CW2. But that meant I could uh, take ROTC. And once that was over, once we graduated, I was only required to serve 90 days of active duty because I got caught in a rift. The Air Force was reducing its force. But I maintained my interest in UFOs and I got dragged into writing about them and the books did well. But here's the problem. In this field, like so many others, you must tow the party line. You must embrace everything from the nonsensical cattle mutilations being uh, alien, to crop circles, to just about everything. You had to uh, follow the poly li- party liner. You'd find yourself under assault. Um, I tried to ignore the ignorance, but sometimes it gets too deep, and I've been caught up in another fight about this. Uh, somebody wants me to apologize for something I said, and uh, I would reinforce it because it was true. And I've been caught in a number of these things. I, I once said something about um, uh, Stephen Greer and the uh, one of the uh, SETI crashes. And I got emails and emails and emails from those people saying I was wrong. And of course I knew what I was talking about. So I just uh, decided to ignore the nonsense because it was coming from a position of ignorance it's just too many distractions and so instead i'm going to pursue which interests me and i hope what interests you is the audience and with that said i'm going to bring on mike rogers of the travis walton abduction mike rogers worked in logging for much of his life even summers when he was in school he was 28 uh, when he had his own crew in 1975 he had a six-man crew of which travis walton was a sawer or a sawyer (laughs) Like in Tom Sawyer, I digress there for some bizarre reason. A year after the well-known encounter and Walton's apparent abduction, he started working with his father again and went back to school for a time. And in 1997, he was a witness to the Phoenix Lights. But I think we're going to talk a little bit about the Walton abduction and everything that's been going on about that in the last three or four months. Mike Rogers, welcome again to A Different Perspective.
0: Hello, Kevin. (laughs) Glad to be here.
1: Even after my long, involved rant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta say what you gotta say.
1: Oh, uh, sometimes you just the line from uh, Body Heat. Sometimes it's just coming on down so heavy you need to wear a hat. I won't say what's coming down so heavy because you know it's a family radio show. <laughs> uh, let's talk Travis Walton and the abduction. And I think the best way to do that is. Um, start when you guys were leaving, I guess, the area in the evening having completed uh, the work and you witnessed some kind, tell us the story. Tell us how you saw the object, what was going on.
0: Yeah, well, I've only told this about a thousand times, I guess, (laughs) I guess I can do it again. (laughs) Well,
1: then you probably know it very well.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> I try not to be repetitive, you know. I try to make it a little different but it doesn't really work because I've used all the words, you know. Anyway.
1: Well, I, I'm per- just assuming that a lot of the audience isn't as is familiar with the the Walton abduction story as of course you are and I oh, am. Yeah. So I, it helps to give them kind of a yeah. different perspective.
0: Well, to go through it pretty quick, you know. Uh yeah, I was the crew boss with my truck, international crew cab. <laughs> anyway uh yeah we we worked until uh right up until sundown actually past sundown a bit that night because uh i had this contract with the forest service and and uh, there was we were actually doing three separate contracts at the same time but i won't get involved with that but anyway uh i had i had six guys working for me travis uh you know Ken Peterson, uh, Alan Dallas, Steve Pierce, let's see, John Gallette, and a really tall guy named uh, uh, Dwayne Smith. Two of those are deceased now, Uh, that's Alan Dallas and Dwayne Smith. But uh, on that particular night, uh, we loaded up and headed out of there after after sunset, way after sunset actually, it was almost dark actually. Uh, I remember seeing the uh, sliver moon off over in the western sky almost ready to set uh, and uh, anyway once we headed down that road uh, everybody was tired it had been an awful long day I think we worked about 10 or 11 hours that day and uh, two lunch breaks <laughs> you know but uh, went down that road actually up the road because it was an incline up you know, steadily up till we went to the top of the rim, what they call a Mogollon Rim of Arizona. And, uh, we, uh, rounded, uh, a, a thicket of trees, big trees and small trees, where you couldn't see much of anything. Of course, up until that point, we'd, we'd been seeing a flicker of light off in the distance here and there. And as we got closer, it, you know, became more vivid, but, uh, we rounded a corner and broke into a clearing. And uh, when we did, uh, Travis yelled out, stop the truck, which I did. But at that point, uh, this thing was off to the right, almost straight to my right. And and it was up the hill, so I couldn't see it. Everybody else was looking at it, but I couldn't see it. Uh, So I turned the truck off. Well, Travis had jumped out of the truck, I guess, even before I got the truck stopped. Uh, and he, and he started walking up towards this thing. I had to lean over, uh, kind of into Ken Peterson's lap, you might say, uh, in order to see this thing. And when I did, I was, uh, I was awestruck. It was, uh, the first thing that hit me was it was beautiful. It was, uh, aesthetically perfect and, uh, shown from within, and it was also reflective of the the surroundings on the outside. Travis, you know, of course, got a much closer view. Of course, he says that the surface of it was like glass.
1: Uh, Well, what was the shape of the object? What exactly did it look like?
0: Well, I've drawn pictures of it, several, actually.
1: Uh, Which I uh, put up on my blog so people can take a look at it.
0: Okay, yeah. Anyway... uh, it, uh yeah look just like that picture anyway uh pretty much anyway uh, there's no way I could ever uh achieve the perfection or the or the actual reality of it you know uh, but anyway Travis by the time he got up to it and, and he started out sort of almost running not really just like a fast walk and then he slowed down till he was just taking very slow steps the last two or three steps but he got up as close as he could underneath it because there was a, a, a pile of logging debris, which, uh, cats had pushed up, you know, uh, you know, dozers.
1: I was going <laughs> to say, the, yeah. Oh, oh,
0: oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, cats aren't quite that strong. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, they'd pushed up a pile of debris there. Uh, it was just logging debris. You might say small pieces, large pieces and so on. And, uh, Travis got up right there to that pile of debris, and he was standing there looking up at it. And, you know, when I leaned over and looked at it, like I said, I was awestruck, and uh, it was beautiful. I mean, in fact, most of the other guys who have described it have described it that way. So uh, everybody
1: everybody in the truck got a good look at the object then?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, Dwayne Smith might have been a little bit impaired in his vision because he was setting— behind me and there was four guys in the back seat he was he was like directly behind me on the uh, passenger side behind me you know <laughs> anyway uh, uh, he he did get a look at it of course but uh, I think his vision was a little impaired because he had to look through the truck and uh, and the and the three guys in front of him you know? <laughs> but uh, anyway yeah he did get a good look at it a fairly good look at it the thing that struck everybody right there very very quickly was that this this thing uh once once Travis got up there to it it started moving a little and it uh was was making a a, a noise you could hear uh, hard to describe impossible to well, describe
1: let's, let's let's stop there let's stop there because I got to take a break here real quick okay all right uh, before we go away i'd like to say that uh My latest book, UFOs in the Deep State, is uh, available on Amazon. If you get a chance, take a look at it. If you like it, uh, give it a rating. I think it's uh, appropriate for today's environment when we're talking an awful lot about the deep state and how it affects other aspects of our life. You are listening to A Different Perspective on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, and we'll be back right after this. So please stick around.
0: One family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pond. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just
1: six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. I am here with Mike Rogers. Well, I shouldn't say I'm here. We're practicing social distancing. He is in the Southwest, I am in the Midwest, and the studio is in Canada. Isn't that exciting? We're not close enough to infect one another, and all our governments can be happy for us. Uh, When we went away, uh, Mike, you were talking about, I guess you didn't hear a sound from this object. Travis had walked up toward it. Uh, The guys in the truck were trying to see it. Uh, What happens next?
0: Well uh right about that time i mean when the, the the loud the uh objects the the noise got louder and uh, eventually there was a there was a rumble to it that i could feel through the through the wheel of the truck you know the steering wheel and uh at, at that point travis looked as though he was uh getting frightened himself uh he uh he Kind of crouched down behind a log that was sticking out from from this slash pile I talked about, and uh, and uh, he looked, you know, he he glanced back over t- towards the truck, which was, you know, about actually we measured it uh, one time; it was ninety three feet from the center of the truck to the approximate place where he stood. <laughs> uh, anyway, I measured it i've been back to that site uh numerous times in fact this last year this year i've been there three times uh all all within a two-week period too (laughs) or excuse me a three-week period but anyway uh he uh he stood up okay and kind of in a in a turning sort of way like as if he was turning to leave to go back to the truck and at that moment uh something hitting, but the I had looked away because I was being getting very apprehensive. I knew something was going to happen. Uh, everybody could feel it. Something was going to happen. I mean, it was, it was building up. It was like, it was like this thing was just producing, uh, a, a, a feeling in us that was like, something's going to happen. That's the best way I can describe it. I had turned away to start the truck and, and I did, but when i did so the whole woods out in front of me lit up a, a brilliant uh, blue green color and everybody describes that same thing uh, it was you know it was brighter than day i mean it, it lit up the woods you know in, t- out in front of me uh, just brighter than day really it was blinding anyway I had i started the truck and i i glanced back over towards travis direction and he was flying through the air uh, he actually uh was up off off the ground in other words it, like like a hand grenade had gone off in front of him and of course i've never seen that happen in real life but that's just what i use to describe it anyway uh he hit the ground i saw him hit the ground and um and he hit the ground flat on his back and uh, he he didn't move and of course guys in the back of the truck i i particularly remember alan dallas screaming at me to you know get the hell out of there and so uh i i waited i don't know three or four seconds because uh i just didn't feel like we should leave at the moment but Everybody was yelling at me, and, and uh, it was very frightening. And, and uh, I very quickly became panicky. I hit the gas and took off down that road real fast, uh, much faster than I should have because I messed up the truck. I remember hitting the tree, breaking a, one of the mirrors off. Uh, we went down the road very quickly for, for about somewhere between an eighth and a quarter of a mile, that part I've never measured, but uh, that's what it seemed like. And, uh, at that point, I stopped the truck because I realized that we had left him back there, and we didn't know what happened to him. So, and uh, the first thing I did is get out of the truck, and and the other guys start getting out. And I looked back that direction. Of course, you know, it was through the woods. was pretty thick by that time, and it, you couldn't, you couldn't see the thing, but I saw, and a couple of the other guys saw, I, I remember uh, Steve Pierce and uh, John Gallette, remember, seeing this uh, thing, uh, a light, you say, just a light through the trees. It lifted up and streaked away towards the northeast. And uh, nevertheless, not everybody in the truck saw it.
1: Well, so you're standing, you're, you've stopped the truck, you're an eighth of a mile to a quarter mile away from where Travis is now laying in the in the forest. Right, right. And, and you've seen the object or the light or whatever it is take off to the north.
0: Right. Anyway, uh, everybody eventually got out very quickly, actually, and, and, and everybody went around to the front of the truck in the headlights. <laughs> it just seemed to be the thing to do. I don't think anybody thought about it, but that's what we did. And everybody was just uh, commotion. I mean, it was uh, hectic. It was everybody was just jabbering away. Nobody was listening to anybody and nobody. Was, and I, I think there was only one person there, Steve Pierce. He was out there, but he wasn't saying anything. He, was just, he looked uh, like he was uh, in shock. And uh, anyway, well, let
1: me let me ask you a question which you may not have been asked before do you have any firearms with you?
0: No <laughs> i've never carried uh i didn't i didn't have. we had a we had a flashlight uh that was about the only weapon we had besides chainsaws but you know
1: well i was think i was thinking about snakes and things like that snakes mm-hmm
0: well yeah we've we've had some encounters with a a few things out in the woods like snakes you know but uh Nobody had that, nobody's thinking about that at the time. <laughs> I didn't have any weapon, nobody did, nobody okay. did. Just but uh, I, I will say this, when I told everybody, we, we got to go back, they didn't want to. And so I said, okay, what, what, do you, what, what should we do? And we looked up, up there, we were, we were only, I don't know, an eighth of a mile, you might say, from the, what they call the Rim Road. Now That's the top of the ridge, the very top of the rim, the Mogion rim, and uh, there were, there were somebody in a pickup. You could see their lights going by, and of course it was hunting season. We'd we'd heard shots during the day periodically, uh, not a lot of them, but you know two or three times we'd heard shots off in the distance, and uh, somebody there said, "Look, let's let's chase those guys down. They got guns." i think it was, i think it was alan dallas said that anyway so i said okay so we pulled out onto the we, it, it was kind of an s thing there we we t- we pulled out onto the rim road and i went down the rim road a short ways and i i said no 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 i says this is stupid i says we got to go back so i turned the i turned the truck around right there and we we went back uh but very slowly <laughs> very much slow compared to heading out of there uh Anyway, all those guys went with me, and that was very different from the movie, which shows uh, me going back by myself. And I don't know why they did that, but that's the way it was. Anyway, we all went back, and uh, we got back to the spot, and uh, I, it was very. I knew the spot; it was very recognizable. We pulled the. I pulled the truck up into the into this clearing as much as I could. Kept the headlights on, and we all got out. All of us. But how about how much time had passed? Oh gosh, I don't remember. Fifteen minutes at the most. From the from the you know from the time we left the spot until we come back to it. Anyway, uh, of course, pulling the truck up in the in that clearing where we shown the lights on. Of course, I couldn't shine where Travis had been. Just there by the road you know close to the road anyway uh we all got out and we we started you know like I say we had a flashlight in the glove box and and uh, I think Ken got it out and we started uh walking up around through the clearing and everybody was just scared as hell I can tell you that and uh first thing, of course, we noticed was that Travis wasn't there. Uh, and we walked around through the through the clearing first, kind of circled around, and then we circled around a much bigger circle out among the, the trees and stuff around the clearing. And finally, uh, it was kind of getting emotional for all of us, and especially me, and I, I, I broke down, and I, I actually went to my knees, and and uh, and and I, you know, I admit that I cried. Okay, uh, a lot of the people, a lot of people since then, uh, when they hear this, they they assume that I was crying because uh, I was scared. It wasn't that. It was more relief that we didn't find him, because when we pulled up in that clearing, I was expecting to find a charred body, uh, uh, Travis dead, laying there somewhere, and we didn't find that. And so that was a big relief to me. (laughs) And that was partly why I was crying, okay? But it was just just emotionally very impactful. And, uh, of course, then we all got back in the truck and uh, slowly headed back into Heber, which is the town nearest where this occurred. And uh, upon getting back into Heber, uh, I, I told... Ken, he was sitting to my right. He had always been sitting to my right uh, because it was me driving. Ken Peterson, then Alan, then uh, Travis sitting on the uh, passenger seat in the front seat, and uh, everybody maintained their original positions. Nobody got in the front seat with with Ken, <laughs> uh, and I told told Ken, I said, well, I can't." I said, we, yeah, we need, Ken kept, we we're talking about this on, on, on the way in, and uh, I told Ken, once we got into Hebrew, I says, I, I can't, I can't call, I says, I just can't do it, and he said, okay, I'll do it, and so he did, Ken Peterson got out, and he called the the local authorities, I don't know what he did, or who he called, but, uh, uh, a uh, deputy, Allison, came out and talked to us first, and then eventually, I don't know. Well,
1: what, what would you, what would you say about that? I mean, how do you have a clue to what he said to the police about this?
0: Oh, I I could hear what he was saying because it was one of these phone booths that didn't. What it wasn't a box. It was like on the wall of a building. And, you know, it, was, it had a cover over the top of it, but it was like open otherwise. And it was, you know, in fact, the building it was on was was a telephone building okay it's it's not there anymore none of that's there right now but uh, what, what, what was he saying to the police uh, I could barely hear what he was saying but I but I couldn't I, I was like too rattled to really pay attention uh, but whatever he did uh, like I say uh, Chuck Ellison who is a, is a deputy there in Heber came out and he was there just within like 10 minutes and he, we told the story to him. Uh, I was very reluctant to, to include the word UFO or anything about that uh, because I just felt, had this feeling that the uh, authorities were going to take it wrong. And, of course, they did. Uh, once uh, Sheriff Gillespie and, and, and a guy named Ken Copeland came out, um, Kim Copeland was extremely negative. He was, he was skeptical and, he, and, he, and it showed, uh, just the things he said and his mannerisms and whatnot. But of course, Sheriff Gillespie was calm and, and he was very professional and he would just ask questions and took it all in He took it all in. Nobody was writing any notes at this point. Um, they were just listening and we told them about it. Uh, somebody eventually told them about a ufo and once they did of course i went ahead and and told them that uh travis was missing uh and what had happened and uh i
1: think i think this was a good place to take a break because we got travis missing we have the law enforcement people there Uh, i'm sure you're about to go out on a search and all that sort of thing and we can cover that when we come back i think all right I'm here with Mike Rogers. We're talking about the Travis Walton abduction. We're getting kind of a detailed uh, description of it, which I think we need to understand exactly what's going on. And later on, we'll get into some uh, other details and some other questions about that. I would also like to remind you that our many fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network can be found at xzbn.net. Last week, I screwed that up for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, Take a look at that and we will be back right after this. So please stick around. Mike Rogers and I, we're talking about the Walton abduction, and we reached a point where law enforcement is now involved. Travis Walton is missing, and the guys uh, in the pickup truck are trying to convince, I guess, the police that uh, something untoward has happened to their friend Travis Walton, and they didn't have a hand in it. Uh, so, Mike, the, the police were there. You're, I, I believe you're about to go out back out to the, dare I say, scene of the crime, out to the uh, location where the event took place. So
0: take it away from there. <laughs> <laughs> scene of the crime. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, uh, right there that, that very evening, just as soon as uh, we told everything to Sheriff Gillespie and them and Ellison uh, and uh, Copeland, uh, all three of them and myself and uh, two other guys, I can't remember exactly who it was, I think it was Ken Peterson and Alan Dallas. But uh, anyway, we, we went back up the hill and, uh, they had a, they had two vehicles. They had a Brown car and they had a four wheel drive, something or other. <laughs> I wasn't really paying attention to make and model. I do pay attention to color, but anyway, uh, we went back up there and, uh, I was, I was riding with them in the, uh, in their four by four vehicle. And, uh, I remember, uh, Ken Copeland was driving that four by four vehicle. I think Allison was in the car, but anyway, we, uh, we went, we drove down that main road and then down the logging road we were on when it happened and went way on down the hill past that and, uh, turned around came back up. But, um, uh, I can't remember where all we searched exactly. Cause you know, that, that was like 46 years ago. <laughs> anyway, uh,
1: Well, you were doing the search in the vehicles. Did you get out and walk around at all or anything like that?
0: Uh, No, I didn't. Uh, uh, Ken Copeland got out a couple of times and checked the ground. uh, And he had a flashlight and he... Thought of himself as a tremendous tracker, you know. I remember that. Saying, "I'm what the best. Time, I'm the best of, tracker," you know, the era, at Navajo County. But anyway, what
1: what time of day was this? I mean, you you said it was about.
0: Oh know. yeah. Well, I mean, what, by, what by the time, time by the time we got into Hebrew to to talk to the authorities, it was already dark. I mean, it was totally dark, and and the moon had gone down. So I mean, it was pitch black. Uh, so. When we got back out to the site, I mean, it was really dark. I mean, it was just as dark as it can get, actually. Uh, and up there in the forest, it can get pretty dark. In fact, it's so dark that the the uh, stars are are the light, you know, <laughs> it does, which they do provide some light because uh, up there at that altitude, the the stars shine rather brightly. But uh, anyway, eventually. They they had done all the searching they wanted, and Ken Copeland and I headed back down. The other guys got in the car and went went with the uh, with uh, Ellison. Ken Copeland and I went uh, looking for Mary Kellett, which is Travis's mother, and I knew where she lived. And of course, uh, we very quickly found her. Uh, Travis's mother lives something like twelve miles east of this of the site where this happened, and. Uh, We got there, and uh, I knocked on the door and woke her up. She apparently was already in bed, you know. Uh, Of course, she would by then because it was, uh, you know, like 10 or 11 o'clock at night by this time. And uh, proceeded to tell tell Mary Kellett about what had happened, and Mary Kellett was, uh, was, she was having a hard time taking it all in. I mean she just woke up and uh, she just didn't seem to be all there and um, she was acting sleepy and uh, stunned and uh, um, anyway ken copeland remembers remembers it rather differently than it really was of course he's a skeptic he he's always been a skeptic and uh, so he told a different story and i've always said no you know like on larry king live i was saying uh, Mary Kellett was, was a very, you know, strong woman. She was out there by herself. Travis said that too on Larry King Live, that uh, his mother was a very strong woman. She was out there by herself. She would raised, uh, I can't remember how many kids on her own. And uh, she wasn't, uh, Travis said she wasn't somebody who would just break down, you know, over hearing something like that. And that's exactly the way uh, it was Um uh, well, at this point, Travis is only missing. You don't know what's Oh, happening. yeah, yeah. I, I, we had no it's idea. It's not like what what got
1: the body out in the car or something like
0: that. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Matter of fact, uh, people have been saying all along, I mean, for years, all these years, uh, that uh, we all witnessed Travis being abducted. That is absolutely untrue. They just, they just assume this because that's what they want it to be. We did not see him get abducted. In fact, we didn't see a damn thing of Travis after I drove off in panic, after I hit the gas and left. We didn't see anything after that.
1: So what, so, you're, saying, what you're saying is you guys all saw the UFO, saw the object in the sky.
0: That's right. We heard it. We saw it. It was very striking, it was extremely real. Everybody,
1: but, Everybody about you apparently saw some kind of beam strike, Travis.
0: Yes. Uh-huh. And well, I, I, didn't, I didn't see the, like I say, I didn't actually see him getting hit by this beam. I go by what the other, some of the other guys said.
1: Well, that was my but point. I, you didn't see him get, get struck. You saw him in the air as he... Yeah,
0: I saw him flying, flying back, down. right. Yeah.
1: But um, the other guys all saw him be struck being struck by the beam.
0: Uh, most of them. I don't, I, no. I don't think Alan Dallas did. In fact, Steve Pierce was sitting right next to him. Alan Dallas was on the uh, uh, passenger side in the back seat. And Steve says he was hugging the floorboards. That's the way he put it. And I remember looking back there a couple of times, and Alan didn't seem to be there. <laughs> I was thinking for a second that he got out himself, but he, but he, but he didn't. He was just hiding, literally on the floorboards, or at least as close as he could get to him. Well, wasn't there
1: some animosity between Travis and Alan Dallas?
0: Yeah, there was. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They had scuffled in the past. What's funny is that a couple of weeks prior to that, I had uh, basically kicked Alan's ass <laughs> you know, over another issue entirely. Uh, Alan was kind of a hothead. He was, he was ready to fight people. Him and, Tra- him and Travis uh, always had this animosity between them. And, uh, and on that particular day, Travis says that uh, Alan uh, dropped a tree almost as if to deliberately hit him. And, of course, Alan doesn't really say much. I don't remember Alan saying anything in, in response to that. Of course, you wouldn't expect him to, but uh, that's what Travis says. Uh, and, of course, all that's uh, displayed in the movie.
1: Well, here's here's a question. So the the you've got the police involved. Travis is missing. And did they take you all into the police station to kind of question you about what really had happened out there and suggest maybe it was something Nope. Not paranormal? No,
0: no. Uh, Ken Copeland eventually took me home. Okay. And uh, that was the first time I'd, you know, to tell my wife, her name was Katie, tell her about it. And uh, she uh, had a little bit of trouble believing it, of course. But uh, I was tired. I, I just went to bed. I just went to bed. And of course, I didn't sleep very long. I, when I did get up, i uh, you know the the guys that we left in Heber had had driven the the my truck home, and uh I don't know what they did after that, walked home or did something a couple of the guys were were actually staying there dwayne smith and and uh I think it was John Galette were actually staying upstairs in my house and um uh, so they you know all I know is that when I got home, my truck was there. I went to bed. So the next morning, early, I got up and I headed right back out to Heber. And when I got out there, they, they were already uh, searching. I mean, there was a, a group of vehicles and stuff there at a, at a gas station uh, right there when you first come into Heber. And uh, and so I got with them and, and uh, went out there. And when we got out there, there's already a bunch of people out there there's men on horseback uh, and people searching and uh so so the guys that I went with or followed or whatever uh, were kind of like the tail end of the group you know that was going out to search but uh, I I spent that day and the next day uh, out there on the at the site, uh, not really out searching with anybody, but pretty much staying close to this center where. For Sheriff Gillespie spent most of his time, and uh, of course Ken Copeland was always saying skeptical stuff to, to to us. You know, well,
1: when did when did it become become sort of the theory that you guys had done away with Travis Walton?
0: I didn't hear about that until Sunday afternoon, and that's how many days later? That's uh, like on the fourth day. See, this, this occurred uh, Wednesday evening and the search involved was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then eventually Sunday. Uh, but it didn't last all day Sunday. It was like just the morning of Sunday. The afternoon of Sunday, I was home and uh, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think it was, uh, I don't think, no, it wasn't Sheriff Gillespie. It was one of the other guys there. Maybe it was uh, Sanford Flake. Flake there on snowflake who came to my house and told me that uh they wanted wanted us to take part in a polygraph test and that's the first time i'd heard of that uh very quickly we all got together didn't know where alan dallas was actually in the movie it it says uh uh it it shows me uh And Ken Peterson talking about it, and then going out and finding Allen Dallas. No, that didn't happen. The uh, the guy, I think it was Sank Flake, call him Sank. The name was actually Sanford. (laughs) Okay, but uh, uh, he had told me about this, and so I just went on that. And he told me that every all the other guys are being informed. So I went on that, and. uh,
1: so everybody else was being informed, they wanted you to take polygraph examinations. Right,
0: exactly. So, on a Monday morning, uh, at the time, appropriate time, or within a few minutes thereof, uh, everybody was there in front of the uh, county courthouse at the time. Uh, and, uh, went, you know, a very hectic situation, didn't know what was going on, didn't know what to expect, but I was there. The other guys were there, uh, and uh, except
1: for Alan Dallas,
0: no, Alan Dallas was there.
1: Okay, right. they were
0: all there. I mean, like I say, I didn't notify anybody myself; that was done by the authorities. But uh, we we're all there on a Monday morning. It was like eight o'clock or something like that, and uh, and and then we met this guy named Sy Gilson. I mean, first thing. Uh, Sheriff Gillespie was there. Cy Gilson was there. and uh,
1: Gilson was the uh, polygrapher.
0: Cy the poly- Gilson. Uh, Cyrus Gilson was his name. Call him Cy Gilson. Okay. He was the polygraph examiner, and he was very skeptical. I'm mean, extremely skeptical. I remember at one point uh, he walked over to me and, and snapped me on the back of the shoulder very hard and said, and he, and he, he would do it. He'd pop me on the shoulder right the second to say, "You aren't lying, are you?" <laughs> Up, and he did that a couple of times, and and uh, I remember that very vividly. But uh, they all but, thought
1: they, they they now everybody knew about the UFO, right? At this point,
0: nobody knew anything about the UFO except for seeing it. We didn't know anything I about know, Travis. I'm
1: saying, I'm saying the law enforcement people you talked to knew about the UFO because they talked about it the first night.
0: Oh, oh, yeah, you bet. I mean, by oh. this time, the the news knew about it. In fact, by this time, the whole world knew about it. <laughs> you know, I don't know how, but they did. Uh, because well, let, me, uh, let me
1: stop you there. We'll get back to the polygraph and what happened in that and the rest of it here in just a moment, but I've got to take a break. Okay. I don't want to take a break. I have to. I'm ordered to do that.
0: All right. Uh, go for it. <laughs>
1: well, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh I would like to point out that uh, Roswell in the 21st century is still available. I think it's a good resource book for those who are interested in the Roswell UFO crash. It's available on Amazon. The price has been cut, so take a, take a quick look at that. And remember, there are good programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at xzbn.net. Take a look and you'll find something I'm sure that'll delight you. My favorite program happens to be this one. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. By Mike Rogers of Travis Walton abduction fame, and before I bring Mike back on, I'd like to say my really favorite program on the X Zone broadcast network is the X Zone with Rob McConnell as the host. That should get me out of trouble for a moment, anyway. It didn't. Uh, When we went away, uh, Mike Rogers was about to take a polygraph examination. So, Mike, you're about to take a polygraph examination. Um, yeah, the polygraph operator doesn't believe you guys in the uFO story um, so take it away from there,
0: yeah, well, I was all wired up <laughs> no actually, i i didn't i i was uh I think um there was one person that went after me. I was like fifth to be tested. I know that Steve Pierce was the very first, and Cy Gilson has said a number of times that that was because. Uh, he was the youngest member of the group and and uh, he thought if anybody would crack it would be the youngest guy in the crew but after testing Steve he had a little different opinion uh, apparently I didn't see it but but Steve expressed that uh, and uh, very quickly they they had Steve go out in the, in this uh, re- retainment yard which had a rock wall and a And barbed wire on the top you know it's just basically a a a prison yard which is exactly what it was you know and there was a basketball hoop there and they had a basketball and stuff and and he had to stay out there by himself for a while Uh, in fact they did that to each of us I don't remember who was next or or whatever I just remember I was like fifth and I think Dwayne Smith was the one the last one they were tested but in the end, okay, which took all day long, up until the night. Actually, it was as after, way after dark, when uh, we were, it was all done. And, and uh, once we were done, uh, I immediately headed to uh, to talk to Sy Gilson, and uh, he was there rolling up his wires at first, and and that and he didn't want to talk to me, so I waited around, and and then he then he took his machines and his stuff and whatnot and he and he headed down the stairs and i said hey what what is the deal what what's happened he said he said we don't normally discuss these things until it's all complete and i says well what the you know you got to tell us something what happened and he says well one of the guys uh incomplete uh alan dallas and he, and I said, well, what what about you know the rest of us? And he said, well, he says, I I have to admit, he says that he says I have to get this checked out first. Uh, uh, we don't normally just announce this right off. But he says, from what it appears to me, he says, it looks like you all passed. And, okay, so uh, you
1: pa- you passed the test. It's been several days now. Um, the police think you've murdered Travis, and up that's up until the whole-
0: then. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, till this point, when does Travis reappear? Uh,
0: he appeared sometime that that night after after the test, uh, several hours later. Uh, I, I don't, the timing on that is kind of odd. It's like the aliens knew something go, what, what was going on. They were fully aware of it, and so they were they were going to return him once that was concluded. Now I have no idea why that timing was as such, but. Travis would return just hours after uh the the polygraph tests were concluded, and of course, I didn't know about that, nobody did until like the next day in fact uh it was like the evening of the next day when I got word from from uh, uh somebody uh, another authority somebody came and told me to my door told me that Travis was back, and of course I don't know so uh. Within a few minutes of that, I was able to make contact with Travis's brother, Dwayne. And he told me that Travis was there at his house in Glendale, Arizona. And so I made, you know, I I, I had two vehicles at the time. I had a Dodge Charger and this uh, work truck. But uh, the following day, of course, I headed down to, uh, to Phoenix, to Glendale to Travis's brother's house, which I'd been at before, so I knew where it was, but uh, uh, I met Travis there finally, and he, uh, Travis was just kind of in a daze. He didn't say much, uh, couldn't get much out of him. Uh, I talked quite a bit to Dwayne, and Dwayne is the one that really told me the story, you know, not from Travis, but from from his brother Dwayne.
1: When did when did uh, Jim and Coral Lorenzen from the Aerofenomen Research Organization get involved?
0: Uh, somewhere in there, I don't know. I, I didn't know anything about that. Now, first time I met Coral and Jim Lorenzen was in Tucson. Uh, uh, they had asked Trowe and I to come down and have a dinner there, which we did. And my my uh, memory of that was pretty clear. I remember one thing. That Cora Lorenzen was a, a cat and dog advocate, you might say. You know, uh, she she belonged to an organization that didn't didn't, you know she they supported animals' rights, you might say. And then we were having the steak dinner. So in the middle of the dinner, I said, "Okay, you don't believe in cruelty that, to animals, but yet we're eating beef steak. I don't quite understand that." <laughs> Cora wouldn't speak to me again after that. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway.
1: Way to, way to go. Alienate everybody you can.
0: Yeah, <laughs> alienate, yep. Uh, yep. So, I, I seem to be good at that.
1: So the Lorenzans, um, I guess, arranged for a, a, a lie detector test for Travis Walton to take now to talk about what happened to him. The The lie detector test you guys took... Was more oriented toward finding out whether or not you'd committed a crime, yeah. killed Travis or something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, in there somewhere, uh, I don't know who it was, but uh, Travis was asked to take a test. I think this. I, I think he took a test in California prior to that, and uh, 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 I asked uh, asked Jim Lorenzen about that. In fact, he's the one that told me about it, and I asked him about it, and all he said was, uh, well, it was just too early uh, for a a polygraph test to mean anything. Uh, So I I don't know what that meant. But anyway, within a few days, Travis took another test by somebody's urging, I don't know who, but a guy named uh, Jack McCarthy. And according to Jack McCarthy, Travis flunked that test all the way. I mean, everything, according to him. Now, well, let
1: me wait. Let me get this straight, because I always knew there was a, an earlier test that Travis flunked, and it was arranged by APRO. And now you're saying there there was actually yeah yeah well
0: tests? yeah well maybe this one in California is the one they're talking about that flunked, but the, but this one that with uh, McCarthy uh, that was afterwards. I don't know exactly, You know, I don't write any of these things down. I'm just remembering these names. Uh, you know. Uh, and then, of course, APRO also sponsored one with uh, uh, an examiner by the name of Pfeiffer. And Travis apparently passed that test. And then later on, uh, in 93, Travis and I and Alan Dallas took another test uh, with with Cy Gilson. And, uh, and we all passed that test. And then, of course... Later on down the road, which was, I don't know, like six or seven years ago, Travis was on that program uh, uh, moment of truth, I think, is what they called it, and in which he flunked the last question. And Ken Peterson was on that but that's one of those things that Travis didn't want me on. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute.
1: Dude, Travis flunked the last question, but what was the last question?
0: Did you really were you really abducted by a UFO on, on November 5th? November, fifth, nineteen seventy-five.
1: Okay, so let's 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 recap here because I'm going to run out of time. <laughs> um, Travis, we know Travis took one lie detector test early on that he flunked. He may have taken a, a one in California that we now don't know a thing about. Uh, you just, and you may have confused a couple of points there.
0: Yeah, I could have.
1: He took a he took another polygraph that was arranged by the Lorenzins that he passed. Yeah. He took one, I think, ranged by a guy named Jerry Black in the nineteen nineties, which he passed. Yeah. And then we get to this TV program in the two thousands at some point, and he flunked the last question, which were you abducted by a UFO? So he right. flunked it.
0: Yeah. So I hear. You see, that's all hearsay because if that coming from me, it's like secondhand hearsay. Because I it's just what I've heard on all these things. I I did not do that program with Travis. Ken Peterson did. My sister Dana, who has been married, has always been married to Travis, uh, since they were married anyway, Uh, she was there. And uh, so most of that first came from uh, Ken Peterson. Uh, He's always been very close to me. And I will say this, though. At At the present moment, Travis only has one positive witness remaining. And that's uh, John Galette. What about Steve P- Pierce? Steve Pierce uh, no longer wants anything to do with it. Uh, Ken Peterson no longer wants anything to do with it. I'm reluctant uh, because well, met, I'm, several Steve things have happened. Yeah, I Go met ahead.
1: Steve Pierce in uh, Roswell a number of years ago.
0: Okay, yeah, and I remember that.
1: So he was talking about the abduction and Philip Glass's involvement and that sort of thing. Right. Uh, Philip class attempted to
0: mm-hmm.
1: bribe him, I guess would yeah. be the right word.
0: $10,000 $10, $10, bribe, yeah, that's right.
1: Which he talked about taking and then decided not to because pressure mm-hmm. was applied to him from the other side. Uh, you know, if you do that, we'll never talk to you again type of thing.
0: Well, yeah, basically. <laughs> nobody ever heard him. Never, Nobody ever twisted his arm.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, telling him that well, you, know, you won't be friends anymore, or something like that. From yeah, what yeah, Pierce yeah. told me, I mean, that's that can be quite a bit of pressure on yeah. someone. Yeah.
0: I yeah. What well, I told I told him on the phone, okay, Steve Pierce, when he called me, I says, well, if you if you take that money, uh, you'll be bruised, and uh, and and you'll spend the money alone. That's what I told him.
1: You'll be bruised. Were you suggesting yeah. he would be?
0: Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't specific, that's all I said. You'll be well, bruised and you'll spend the money alone.
1: Well, that sounds pretty much like a threat, Mike.
0: Well, it kind of is, Well, I said nobody ever, you know, he was on the phone. <laughs> I don't even know where he was. He was in somewhere. I don't know where he was. He just had called.
1: Well, my to point tell, simply to tell is me. this. Um, pressure was put onto it by Philip Class, offering, 10, here's $10,000, and pressure was put on him from the other side well if you do that you'll be bruised and you'll spend the money alone type thing so yeah. i mean he was getting pressure from both sides
0: right yep well the thing of it is is that uh, steve pierce knew that he would have to p- pass the polygraph test to it being a hoax which of course he knew he couldn't do <laughs> because it really happened so he was really in a bind there uh, he he wanted that ten thousand very bad in fact i've talked to him about it recently he definitely wanted that money. That ten thousand back at the time was like maybe twenty-five thousand or thirty thousand now. Uh, so you know it was, it was very significant. He was broke. I mean, he was dirt poor, uh, worse well, than dirt poor.
1: Let me interrupt you here because we're gonna we're getting to the end of the program. I got to wrap it up here. Uh, we'll have you back next week, of course. And we'll look into some of the controversy around it and the latest investigations going on to the Walton abduction and what's being found out there and what people are saying and how all this comes to play. I mean, we have to remember this has been uh, decades ago that the abduction took place and we've been dealing with it for, well, again, literally decades and see where we are in today's environment. Um, Mike, we'll have you back next week to talk about this. And I certainly appreciate you taking time to give us in great detail what happened there um, back in 1975 and that sort of thing. Uh, Before we go away, please take a look at my blog. I don't know why I haven't mentioned it to this point, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. With Mike's permission, I will put up a picture of the UFO on my blog so you all can see what it looked like. Mike is a very accomplished artist. He's very, very, very Mm -hmm. talented in that respect. Thank you. As I say, I'll be back next week with Mike Rogers. We'll continue our discussion about the Travis Walton abduction. You have been listening to a different perspective on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. Please come back next week and hear the conclusion of this two-parter. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank thank you. Kevin.